Welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. I'm Catherine and I'm Paul. This is a podcast about libraries, books and people. What are people taking out of the modern public library and what are they giving back? Who is keeping the shelves and the spaces between them vibrant and full of life? Plus we'll be delving into news about books, authors and events across Bristol's 27 libraries. So if you're interested in books or in people, lend us your ears. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shelf Life. Welcome to episode four of Shelf Life. It feels as though this has been quite a difficult week for everyone. How is everyone doing? Did we all manage to get up this morning and get dressed and have breakfast? Um, I'm having a bit of a slow morning really. I had a phone call with my counsellor about an hour ago so I'm feeling a little bit fragile and low energy today but I did get up on time, I had breakfast so I'm ticking all the self-care checklist boxes. Well done, um, yeah I'm doing good. I actually did some yoga this morning. It's a habit I've been meaning to get into for years but lockdown has finally given me the push to like okay I need to get these good habits now to keep myself going so been doing that every morning which is pretty nice and I'm very pleased to have a guest on this episode to help us celebrate local and community history month Ruth from local learning hi Ruth thanks for joining us first of all how are you doing today hello everybody um I'm very well thank you nice to see everybody so could you tell us a bit about local learning and about about what you do yeah I'm a co-director of a community interest company called Myers in Seoul Local Learning. Um, We work with schools and communities across Bristol exploring Bristol's local heritage. So in this episode we'll be talking about some of the work that local learning has been doing and where it's overlapped with libraries and I'm excited that one of your groups Meadows to Meaders in Southmead have continued meeting up despite the lockdown And earlier this week, I had the pleasure of joining one of their virtual gatherings and recorded some of that conversation. So we'll be sharing some of that conversation today as well. Before we get started, because this is my favourite question to ask everybody, always, what are you all reading at the moment? I've recently finished Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo, which I've listened to on Borrowbox, a free library e-audio platform. I've mentioned the book previously on the podcast and the story has been wonderful. Each chapter of Girl, Woman, Other centres around a different character's life. And I've been enjoying learning about each character and seeing the relationships between the characters, which are unknown to the characters themselves. But it does make sense if you read the book. Yeah. Paul, what are you reading at the moment? Um, Well, I'm struggling a bit to focus on actual reading at the minute. So I'm taking another break from the Kate Atkinson book I was reading, Life After Life. So, you know, I'll probably be on uh, episode 32. I'll be like, I'm still reading Life After Life. Um, (laughs) I've been getting really into audiobooks, though. So I've read the Matt Haig book, How to Stop Time, which you talked about last time, Catherine, because it's on the audiobook group that uh, libraries have got on Facebook. Um, Someone else was saying that it's there's a sort of self-help message that the author puts into the story and they didn't like that. I personally did actually and it made me think of Matt Haig's other books which he talks a lot about his time with depression and and with suicidal thoughts and how to keep on living. Um, 
that I found helpful to reflect on. And I was, I've been having a bit of trouble sleeping, actually. And this was a really good book for that because it was quite fun and quite uplifting and had like moments of reflection, but with this warmth to it, that it was quite a nice, if I'm going to be stuck at four in the morning with my own thoughts, it's quite nice to actually just put my headphones on and listen to that story. And that sort of helped me get through a couple of tricky nights. So I really appreciated that book. I think How, How to Stay Alive was his most famous yeah. book. Reasons to Stay Alive. Reasons to Stay Alive. That book was like, I think, a real game changer in terms of the way that people talk about mental health. So I think he's a really sort of strong spokesperson for just talking much more about mental health. So Reasons to Stay Alive, that's quite a lot about depression. And then he wrote one more recently, which is called Notes on a Nervous Planet. And that focuses quite a bit more on anxiety and that side of things. It's a little bit about social media and sort of kind of the rolling news so that we now have 24 seven news all the time and that can sort of increase our levels of anxiety. So it's, it's actually a very super relevant book for this point in time, but yeah, his, his books on mental health, I think are really fantastic. What about you, Catherine? What have you been reading? I've just finished reading a novel called Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield, which I really enjoyed. So it's historical fiction, which is very much my cup of tea. Um, And the story is set on the River Thames. It's very kind of atmospheric and it opens on like a midwinter's night, uh, this kind of old riverside inn. A young girl has been found in the river and she appears to have drowned, but then she comes back to life. It turns out that she is alive. And so the story is then kind of about who she is and where she's come from. The plot sort of plays out from there. But yeah, I just really enjoyed it. It's kind of, it's a lot about storytelling, like how we tell stories and why and why they're important to us. But it's also quite playful. So it kind of meanders between like folklore and magic because you sort of have this young girl at the centre of the story and you're really not quite sure if she's real in a sense. So it's kind of got like a sort of a Victorian Gothic feel to it. Um, It's a little bit like The Essex Serpent or The Miniaturist if you know either of those books. So yeah, so if you like Do The Doze, then you'd really like this one, I think. So that's what I've just finished. And I'm now kind of in between books. So I'm sort of looking around and trying to decide what what I'm going to read next. So Reese, what are you reading at the moment? You know, building on what Paul was saying about sometimes struggling to read at this time. When when things are, are tricky for me, I want to read something that is safe. The book that I go to is Pride and Prejudice because I love it and I know exactly what's going on and know how it ends. I'm also reading Mabel Tothill by June Hannam. It's a Bristol Radical publication. The Bristol Radical History Group, is it one yeah. of their pamphlets? Yeah. Mabel Tothill, as I'm getting to know her. I just wish I had met her in real life. I, she's somebody that I admire. I My values and principles are very much aligned with hers in terms of education and equal opportunity and making sure that there are opportunities for everybody, regardless of social class, background. Cool. Right, so I feel a little bit low mood, but I'm going to do it in the voice anyway. It's time for... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the library update. <laughs> so some of you might know that it was Mental Health Awareness Week in May, and we've added lots of new mental health related e-audiobook on BorrowBox. Some that jump out to me are One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, which is one that I'm planning on listening to, Reasons to Stay Alive by Matt Haig, 
Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman, which is one that's been getting a lot of attention recently, and The Illustrated Mum by Jacqueline Wilson. Books can help us understand and sympathise with greater kindness. They also offer valuable insight into the lives and minds of authors and characters who experience mental illness. I think it's really important that we're tackling mental health stigma at the moment, especially because it's such a difficult time. It's brilliant that we've got so many new books to listen to on Box. All right, well, let's get into interview mode. Um, Ruth, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your projects. So could you tell us more about local learning? As I said earlier, we work with schools and communities across Bristol, exploring Bristol's local heritage. All of our projects tend to start with an intergenerational sharing memories event where we bring young and old together to share stories. The history that is most at risk is actually the more recent history. There's history that we can we can go and find out about in the library or we can go and find out about in the archives. But there are all these other stories, the ones that I find really interesting, that are just people's own experiences. So we work together with communities to explore these stories and then find a way to present them to a wider audience. You've done projects at Bristol Central and Bishopston Libraries. And you've got an ongoing project at Hillfields Library as part of the Council Housing Centenary Project, Homes for Heroes. Today, though, we'll be hearing from the cast of Meadows to Meaders at Southmead. Could you tell us a bit about that project? Southmead was built in the 1930s. The first houses were there in 1931. People were moved from across the city to these new houses in Southmead. And... What we wanted to do, along with Bristol Old Vic, was to collect these stories and weave them into a soap opera that would then be performed by local residents. So we collected lots of stories from people who'd grown up in Southmead. They were recorded by Top Foster and then woven together by scriptwriter B. Roberts. And she, she asked for the completely unedited versions she just lived in this world for a few days I imagine her doing the washing up and things like that listening to all these stories and completely immersed in these stories then she produced our original script and in fact the stories that we were getting went beyond the 1930s they also went to the 1940s and 50s and they were just too good to ignore so B found a way of creating a narrative that moved through the decades. And then it was performed live on the streets of Southmead outside Font Hill Primary School, the first school to be built in Southmead. It was first performed in 2017. We thought that was the end of the project, but actually it ended up just being the beginning of, of our project. Lockdown started three weeks before your latest performance was due, so um, that's now been postponed. But in the meantime, you've continued getting together online. I understand it took a bit of work sorting out the technology, but you're now meeting every week. It can only be on a platform that is accessible for everybody. That I mean, at a time when people are already feeling very isolated, I don't think it's right to do something where even only one person can't participate because then they, they feel even more isolated. 
Earlier this week, I was in one of those meetings, and here's a segment of that where we asked the cast about how Meadows to Media started and their favourite moments. So in about 10 minutes or so, we'll come back to chat more about it. Southmead did a community plan and because we demonstrated that we wanted to make a better future for Southmead, we were awarded £250,000 from the 2012 Olympic Games. It was a legacy fund and we were one of only 14 communities to be awarded that money. We formed a local reference group which was all residents and over three years, we, we spent that money and we invited different organisations to put in an application for funding if they wanted to do a project. We wanted something in Southmead that was sustainable as well. We had one application for funding to create a Southmead soap opera, which has become Meadows to Meters. So when we started rehearsals, you went along, I went along to make sure that they'd got everything right because meters are very, very protective. And then before you know it, you get handed a script. Even if you said you didn't want to act, you get handed a script and the rest is kind of history, Paul. How much is it based on history or how much do you kind of make it up yourselves? It's all based on history. We write the stories, our own personal life stories, if you like, from a certain decade. And then Ruth goes away and turns them into this wonderful script. She brings it back and then we correct her because we say, Ruth Meaders wouldn't say it like that. So we correct her and amazingly she goes away, changes it and she still comes back to see us. Do you have any particular favourite moments? I think it was Meadows to Meaders 2. It was the end of the war had been announced. So everyone was um, celebrating and building bonfires. And the next day, they all got carried away. They didn't realise the rent man was going to come that day. Ron, who played the most straight-laced rent man you've ever seen, (laughs) came round. But Iris's children painted a V for victory sign on the door. And Iris had to distract him from seeing it because there was very strict conditions if you were renting. So Iris had to distract him with all sorts of things. And I think my favourite bit was she said, oh, would you would you like a drink? And he said, I never drink when I'm on duty. And she said, well, I'm not asking you if you want a gin, just a cup of tea, you know. <laughs> and it was funny, but she got away with it because she hung the washing in front of the front door. It was when the, the rentman went away that as he left, she put the V's up to him as well, which was hilarious. In a nice kind of way, wasn't it? Yeah. Very nice kind of way, yes. That was Ron's story. And it was lovely that Ron then played the rent man. Yeah. It was my younger sister, Flo, who did it. Um, and I, I've actually got photographs of the V sign either side of the front door where the family stood in front. My mum really did get into trouble because you weren't allowed to deface the property. And one of the photographs was taken in about, 19, about 13, 14 years later 
and the V's are still there with the dot, 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 dash underneath. That's how long it lasted. In, um, as I, say, I must go back at some time and see if the faint um, sign's still there. <laughs> so, yeah. Must be some good paint, Ron. It must have been some good paint. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, as I say, it's um, one thing I quite treasure. Yeah. Her favourite was the audience participation at the end, uh, singing Roll Out the Barrel. Mm. Yeah. 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 My favourite uh, was was uh, in the shelter with Rose. Oh, <laughs> yes. Looking under the table. Under the table. It was going to be um, a, a record night with the kids asleep and uh, basically the shelter to ourselves. Do I need to say more? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he put a rose on our bed as well. Yeah. He was on a promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the trouble was the air raid sirens went off in between. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go and do me rounds. <laughs> I was a horticultural teacher. I was with Mike, who was the headmaster, and we were in assembly, weren't we? And yeah. um, all that summer, as a teacher, I was helping the kids to plant fruit, strawberries and, you know, all sorts of fruit and everything because they'd been what we call nicking the fruit. They'd been pinching it. We sort of pulled their legs, really, and uh, but in a straight-faced way to tell them that uh, anybody who ate that fruit would get, you know, symptoms of diarrhoea and uh, awful things would happen to them. <laughs> and I, he was a guy, actually, that was the, the actual teacher. And he was watching the play at the time. So I had a chat with him after. So that was nice. As the headmaster, I was able to actually talk to various people in the audience about uh, their behaviour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think mine was um, when Andy, my daughter, we had the air raid. There was a bomb being dropped. Um, um, Andy had children and she couldn't find Peter, I don't think. And it was really, really sort of poignant. Do you know what I mean? She was like really there in the moment and it was just like, oh my, and you could believe it with the, with the, the sounds as well. And her acting was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And that day it was just, oh, it really brought a tear to me. eye. you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like she actually lost her children. So yeah. Yeah. And that was actually um, true. And in fact, uh, a lot of my memories are very sad. One of the other things that I don't know, Paul, whether you were aware that after the war, uh, Southmead hosted children from, from Germany. They came and lived with different families uh, throughout the estate. And that was one of the stories that was, um, was, was quite controversial at the time, mm. uh, which we covered quite sensitively. But it's not something that we shy away from. If yeah. any of the story can be told, then it needs to be part of the history. Uh, and yeah. then, you know, these children were initially not always welcome, you know, because yeah. of where they came from and the history attached to it. Did that change over time? Did they become more welcome? They were here maybe for a month or so. Maybe a bit longer. Obviously, they were strangers when they came. A lot of them couldn't speak English. Um, in fact, my ex-wife, she hosted one and they kept in touch. And in fact, there's a lady in Southmead now who is still in touch with the lady 
that they, the the child that they looked after, and they they still talk now, or they still write, rather. Yeah. I remember that scene, actually. Yeah. That was was quite um, heart-wrenching, wasn't it? Because you had to sort of stand up and say, I remember I was supposed to stand up, and I was sort of like, well, we'll have one. Do you know what I mean? And that yeah. was it. And there was other people going, oh, 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 oh. I'm going to have one, was she? <laughs> people had to work hard to change people's attitudes about this, really, didn't they? I mean, I didn't know anything about it at all. Nothing at all. And yet I lived in Southmead. Um, you know, well, I, I think, Pam, that there were a lot of people in Southmead that, that weren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. I mean, I, I moved up but, in 1945. During the play. Uh, after the play, basically yeah. saying, you know, we didn't know anything about this. So, uh, I questioned when, whether it was true as well. When we performed that scene, there was um, a disabled lady in the audience and she was quite poorly. And yeah. when mm-hmm. we eventually plucked up the courage and said, I'll, I'll have one, this lady was so engaged with the mm. scene and what what was happening. She shouted out, I'll have one too. Yeah. You know, she really <laughs> bought into the story mm. and she was that yeah. engaged with the whole play that when we did the national anthem as well, she told everyone to stand up. You know, oh, yeah. she was that, it, it must have took her back in her mind and she really engaged with it and I know this lady uh, sadly passed away Mm. a few weeks after we did our performance but that's one of my favourite moments that Mm. she really really engaged and enjoyed what we were doing. Yeah I can confirm that because her daughter is my friend yeah, and she said she she really enjoyed it, and like you say, yeah. a few weeks after she passed away, so she had all those happy memories uh, yeah. of the play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, getting a bit emotional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I think it was amazing. I, and I know we're not brilliant actors or anything, but yes, we've we got, are. Yeah, <laughs> we got this. Yes, um, camaraderie, I think, that maybe the audience feels as well. Mm. Yeah. A good actor for me is somebody that I can believe and that I can relate to. The fact that people enjoy it and are so engaged and are moved by things means that the people that are telling these stories are clearly good at what they're doing. Yeah. In rehearsals and when we did like the drama sessions... And I just came into, you know, this community where I didn't know anyone, but I felt really welcome. Like there was no, oh no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to try that. There was sort of this openness to try everything, especially with the improv. I think you're all amazing actors. I think you don't need to have the training to be an amazing actor. Um, This is the first time that Abdul's been involved. So maybe Abdul, do you want to say something? I think Meadows and Meadows is just an amazing thing. I think, you know, first of all, you guys should sort of applaud yourself because I think, you know, you know you've know, you created something for future generations of Southmead. And I think the lockdown has just proven how strong and great you guys are because even with all these restrictions, you know, we're still here committed every week, week after week. And, you know, we started off with some, a massive amount of emails in the beginning, but from then we've discovered how to use Zoom and, and here we are today, all life. Yeah. 
when we all went into lockdown, you go from everything happening to absolutely nothing happening. And this has been a brilliant way to carry on some kind of normality <laughs> in, in your lives and seeing people in the community again and speaking is amazing and especially speaking about meadows to meters because it's been something that's uplifted everyone in Southmead. Everyone I talk to can't wait for the next one and they want to know what it's about and everything. So it's something very positive in a very uncertain world at the moment. Maybe in our fifth, sixth, seventh Meadows to Meaders, we'll be doing all about the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Does anybody want to share stories about the prop making sessions that we've done so far in the in the library? We're just doing our hat making and our um, buttonholes, wasn't it? I thought it was lovely. We were all sat around having a good old natter and a good old... Everybody was helping everybody else to build their hats and their... Yeah. So we were oh, trying yeah. to fiddle with bits, you know, if we got enough of this to put on yours as well as mine. But do you know what? I absolutely loved it. Yeah, me too. It was so relaxing. And I think because it was different to anything else that I was doing at the time, it, it was so... Um, therapeutic. Yeah. It was therapeutic, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed um, going along and hanging out with them for a bit. Uh, Ruth, was that like fairly typical of the chats that you're having each week? Uh, yeah, that, that is fairly typical. I love listening back to it as well. And it is a very collaborative process with everyone sharing ideas. We as a group have developed and, and evolved as well. You know, originally it was B. Roberts writing the script for people. And then the play was performed. But what I've particularly enjoyed is with the second and now this third episode is this collaborative writing process. And it really is us all writing together. In the second episode, we wanted to celebrate the thousandth house that was built in 1947 in Southmead and there was a it, there was a big thing it was in the papers and the Lord Mayor came to open it and Cher who, who you can hear in in the clip when we were in the writing sessions Cher just said hmm I wonder who lived in the 999th house and so we had a whole scene with this kind of competition between a character called Elsie who was living next door to Delphine who lived in the thousands house and had quite a lot of fun with that so I think a lot of people in Bristol know Southmead for Southmead Hospital. Has the hospital come into the stories at all? Yeah, I mean, Southmead Hospital in the 1930s, this is a time before the NHS. And I thought that I understood what that meant. But we collected stories from people about what it really meant to be living in a time before a national health service. So we had stories about people having to pay for absolutely everything. If you went to Southmead Hospital or any hospital, you had to pay to stay over there. You had to pay for each of your meals. You had to pay for your medicine as well, for your prescriptions. 
And lots of people talked about their parents would invariably not visit the doctor because they knew that they would have to hold on to their money for the times that their children would inevitably be poorly and would need to go to the doctors. And I I hadn't really properly appreciated that until I was hearing these stories. And I mean, just thinking about that today and thinking that if we were in a system without the NHS, what that would mean in this current situation. Yeah, it's quite a difficult thing to think about. And it makes me think about all the appreciation people have been putting out, like the clapping that we're doing every Thursday and things. And, you know, I'm hugely appreciative of all the people working in healthcare and other key workers at the moment. What I find really interesting is, I find the stories interesting in themselves, but also about what we can take from those stories to understand our situation today and also going forward. Yeah, what do you learn from those stories about today and going forward? I think that what I have learned from listening to these stories from the past is the importance of having a system such as the NHS that places equal value on each individual regardless of income or social background. But I am conscious that though access to the NHS is universal, there may be people, depending on their immigration status, for example, where access will come at a cost that echo those 1930s stories. Also linking it back to the libraries, that's something that is, is so wonderful about libraries. You don't pay to go to a library. Those books are available to anybody that would like to, like to access them. And now the podcasts and the audio books and all of the opportunities that the library offer, offer everybody. I think that's just something that's so important. Libraries are a treasure, which I I think (laughs) brings us nicely into the library treasure. (laughs) It's time for the library treasure. (laughs) So Ruth, do you have a library treasure to share with us? It's the library podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's really nice of you to say. (laughs) Well, it was... I I think it's a really lovely idea to continue making the library accessible. And I was listening to a previous podcast that you'd created. And Catherine, you mentioned Hilary Mantel's latest book. Mm -hmm. So firstly, I absolutely love Hilary Mantel and really enjoyed Wolf Hall and Bringing Up the Bodies and had forgotten that there's a third one. So I appreciated that reminder. I I read an interview some time ago with her and one of the questions was, what keeps you up at night? And she said, the chattering of Tudor courtiers. And I thought, I totally believe her. I'm sure that she must be able to overhear them and that she's so immersed in that world and the way that she creates the world that we read about. Yeah, I can totally believe that as well. And the other thing about about the podcasts is that I'm spending lots of time on screen at the moment and having something that's audio is a a really welcome break from that. Mm. Well, thank you, Ruth, for joining us today. And thanks for sharing your stories. And my thanks also go out to the Meadows to Meadows cast for uh, sharing their stories with us as well. And thank you very much. I've, I've really enjoyed talking with everybody. Yes, Ruth, huge thank you um, again so much for joining us. So if you want to find out more about the projects that have been discussed today, you can visit the website 
www.thetruestories.org.uk. Do get in touch with them via the website. Many of the true stories from local residents that informed the original script can be found at locallearning.org.uk stroke memories. Meadows to Meaders 3, Love on the Mead, will be performed next year at a time when it's safe for participants and audience. This time, there'll be a wedding on the estate and an accompanying exhibition in Southmead Library celebrating romances and unions from many of the cultures that make Southmead what it is today. To share your stories or to find out more about local learning, visit their website. All of these links will be in the show notes. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shelf Life. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. If you get in touch, you can use the hashtag ShelfLifeBristol. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Shelf Life. Please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at library.ideas at bristol.gov.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Bristol Libraries. We hope to see you again for the next episode of Shelf Life.